Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on in Ambridge. I'm Jacqueline Bertho, and I'm very partial to a seafood buffet. And I'm Stephen Bowden, who is being more snell. <laughs> and then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who've just walked off site after one too many changes to the kitchen design. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week we have calls from... Paul in Olney, who knows about apprenticeships. Roz, who remembers Mrs. Antrobus. Witherspoon, who's thinking about Brad. Globetrotting Richard, who has been asking questions to an artificial intelligence. Andrea, who is ranting about that bloody woman. But which one? Paul in Olney and his cat this time. Claire from Clapham, who has been pondering about Ardil. Jen, who wants to talk about Helen. It's not positive. Glyn, who is seeing Rob and George's paths diverging. And Andrea again. Which is less peed off than in her first call. Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Sui, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group by Ben in Shanghai, and the three Twitter gongs bronze, silver, and gold from Theo. But before Stephen and I start chatting on too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened this week in Ambridge with a roundup from our Sui. Hello, lovely people. It's Sui, Queen of Tart here and time for a quick reminder of the week in Ambridge. Ardil had a very bad week. There was nearly a punch-up with Kenton over the beer tent, but now there will be a glamorous and stylish outdoor venue with drinks. My goodness. The builders have taken their bats home after a row with Ian over the fixtures and fittings. Ardil did not take this well. Eddie and William ambushed Susan and Emma in Leaders Wood to help Susan overcome her fears of ghosts and such like. William was dressed in Clary's old housecoat, he got a punch in the face for his troubles from Emma. He will not be taking part in the Halloween trail now. 
Susan got both a tandem and a helicopter ride with poetry and breakfast in bed for her 60th. She then got a huge opportunity for gossip when she opened an invitation to Rob Titchener's baptism. Although he cannot have set her to a date with the new vicar this quickly after Alan sent him off with a flea in his ear and Usha gave him what for? His revenge is sweet, as he has told the 90 trillion people he's invited to his baptism, how supportive the two of them have been. Pat went nuclear without thinking how he might be manipulating the situation. Alan was not taken in. George gained a second squeaky guinea pig for Poppy. Lola is joined by Rico, and how many of us started humming Copacabana at that point? He behaved like a relatively humane and decent person, so not sure whether to believe him or not. It should be Rika instead, as she promptly gave birth. Oh dear, now there are five guinea pigs. Ardil appears to have fled Ambridge Hall, waiting for Lindy Bottom to be out of the way, not realising that Emma was downstairs working on the table plans for the black tie ball. Without a contractor to finish off the bathrooms and the kitchen, I am not sure how the black tie ball is going to go ahead. Susan and Neil nearly lost all their shopping all over the road when it fell off the handlebars of the tandem. The tea bags were crushed. Me too. It's clear neither of them want to be riding it. It'll be a five-minute wonder. Didn't last till the end of the episode. Hooray! Anybody want to buy a second-hand tandem? Alan and Neil went to the refugee meeting. There were only two of them. Someone graffitied the church door. Votes are being taken for what word was on there. I'm voting for cockwumble. All in all, it was definitely an odd week again. Until next week then, my lovelies. And I hope it's a good one. <laughs> Thank you for that, Sue. What a note to end on, a cockwomble. Very good. So, Stephen, what have you been up to this week? You've been travelling again. No, I haven't been travelling this week. This week it's been more about what I haven't been doing. It's the Cheltenham Literature Festival week. And unfortunately, ah. I haven't got tickets for anything. I just didn't get round to sorting it out. And I've been a bit busy at work dealing with all kinds of things. So I might well not have been able to go to anything during the day anyway. But it's always a pity to see the town full of people, lots of talks and so forth, and not to go to them. So it's been a week of not doing stuff rather than a week of doing things. <laughs> have you How done any you? baking? I want to talk about your baking. So last weekend I baked a load of custard creams following the recipe from the previous week's Great British Bake Off and took them into work. And they were fine. The trouble with homemade custard creams is that if you follow the recipe, you end up with something that tastes like custard creams, and, and who wants that? <laughs> Very good. Well, you'll have to keep us up to date with your project, and keep your, get, get your freezer full of biscuits when everybody turns up at your house to test them. The whole kitchen's about to be ripped out and replaced. Oh yes, I forgot that. <laughs> so I don't really want to put anything more into the freezer, it's more a matter of taking stuff out of the freezer so that it, when it gets taken away and a new one put in... Uh, I don't have to deal with a load of defrosting food. Ah, oh, very good. Good idea. I've had a week of the waterboard and a hot, hot weather week until yesterday here. And then we had rain for the first time really since August. And it was forecast lots and lots of rain. And we had a brief shower, but it was grey and dull all day. So I'm afraid my week's been accompanied by Coca Cabana. I've had between Coca Cabana and a bicycle made for two earworms all week which hasn't been very easy to deal with well instead of earworms let's have some call hello ambridge 3962 and first up we have paul in olney 
Good morning. This is Monday morning. This is Paul in only calling in with hopefully a bit of useful information about apprenticeships, given the discussion about Brad and possible options for him and people's contributions on the Dumpty Dum I've just listened to from yesterday. I'm not sure that people who aren't involved with universities, which is my career as an administrator, are aware of just how far apprenticeships now spread and how high they go. I think there's probably still a, an image in the wider public imagination that they're either an FE college thing or a heavy engineering industry thing. Apprenticeships these days cover not just starting careers, but also getting on and advancing in careers. And while a lot of them are people go to FE colleges to do apprenticeships in hairdressing or they join one of the big engineering companies to do an engineering apprenticeship or something like that, there are also what are called degree apprenticeships or higher apprenticeships. And it's perfectly possible that as all apprenticeships are required these days to include an element of training, an element of education towards that profession, that the apprenticeship could include a degree at a university or even a, a higher degree. And the university I work for does offer quite a lot of master's courses as apprenticeships, which are taken by specialists in particular industries looking to move on in their careers, either as more advanced specialists or as managers. So hope that helps. Might be in touch later. Oh, brilliant. Thanks for that call, Paul. I knew, as I said last week, I knew nothing about apprenticeships in the UK with UK universities. So that's a great insight into what ha actually happens, which is actually what happens here in France. You know, you do your alternance, as it's called. I'm sounding like Linda Snell, aren't I? <laughs> yes, it sounds like apprenticeships might have been the answer for Alice, for instance, who yeah. did a degree and then went off into a company and was working on robotics and so on. Rather than, I think, for Brad, I, I do think that for Brad, the right answer is he's a bright mathematician and a pure degree is probably the best way of extracting the, the best from him in terms of that mathematical ability. And then maybe later on, once he's no longer working right at the cutting edge of mathematics or wherever he ends up and wants to train up into something more practical, then maybe a, a later career apprenticeship would be the answer for him. But we're going to hear more from Paul later on. So let's move on to our next call, which is from a third time caller in a row, I believe, Roz. Hi, folks. This is Roz. I'm getting the hang of this calling in lark, I think. I was very pleased that Stephen mentioned Nightingale Farm because I've been puzzling over that for a couple of weeks. Because as soon as Hannah has been sofa surfing, I was thinking, what was the name of that house where there was a flat where... First of all, Neil stayed and then somebody else stayed. And then you mentioned Marjorie Antropus and I was thinking, oh gosh, yes, she went to live in the Laurels. And I can't remember now whether she's still there or whether she died. Can anybody else? And the other thing is, I'm really rather hoping that Brad does go to Felperson University because he's such a nice character. And if he goes to Oxford or somewhere like that, we won't hear from him for ages. So there you are. That's my two penneth. Take care, folks. Thank you for that call, Roz. It's good to hear from you again. Now, I have to sadly say that Marjorie Antrobus has died. She sold Nightingale Farm to Map Crawford in the summer of 2003. And at that point, she had Roy and Haley living in the flat. So they had to find somewhere else to live. And I think they moved back into Willow Farm with Roy's parents. And there was a lot of concern. Marjorie herself was telling Roy that it might be very difficult for Haley. Marjorie herself, between their overseas tours, 
had gone back and lived with Teddy's parents and had not enjoyed the experience. So she was warned, she warned Roy to watch out for that. She moved into the Laurels in August of 2003, and she lived there for almost exactly five years before dying peacefully in her sleep in August 2008. And we heard Usher pass that news on to Ruth, and that's how we knew that it had happened. I'm afraid that's what happened to Marjorie Antrobus, but she was a great character with girls, her Afghan hounds. That's brilliant. I knew you'd know all the answers to Ros's questions, Stephen, or you'd have the wherewithal to find them. I have to say, Ros is one of the few people in the Dumpty Dum world, uh, before last April's mashup in Birmingham, that I had met before. And I was quite surprised when, because we never, ever, we met at a conference, we'd been on a course together. And I was quite surprised when she appeared on the Facebook group or as a member of the Facebook group a couple of years ago. And great to hear your voice, Ros. I wish we could be at our quilting machines next to each other again sometime soon. The other thing that Ros mentioned was that she was quite sorry if Brad was going to go away to university. She liked the idea of him going to Felbersham because that meant that he wouldn't leave the cast. And yeah. interestingly, she's not the only person to have had that thought, which brings us on to this. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs Mercy Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here Monday afternoon No horror caller-ins this week But an early call I did want to talk about Brad and university I must admit, I was disappointed When he said he wanted to live at home And attend the local Felpersham U a case of separation anxiety and low self-confidence. I do hope he has what we in the States call a college counselor at his current school with whom he is working who can encourage him to spread his wings. I think it would be so good for him to go away to school. If he were attending uni in the States, he would qualify for a full ride at many schools based on the Harbin family income, as well as be eligible for academic scholarships. I don't know how it works in the UK. On the other hand, if Brad went away to school, we'd hear him much less frequently, and as he's become such an Archer's fan favorite, selfishly, we'd like him to stay. So I am torn. Now on to today's episode. As we all heard, Ardell acted uncharacteristically nasty toward Linda and Kenton, but the latter two kept their cool, and when Ardell approached each of them to apologize, I was very impressed by how all three acted so maturely to smooth out the situation and their relationships. Very un-Archers-like in that it all went so well without any miscommunication. I look forward to hearing how the beer, oops, I mean local craft ale and other premium beverages tent, goes at the event. Talk to you soon. Great. Another good call. Thank you with a spoon. Yeah, the Brad thing, I think he's so anxious about going away. But I doubt whether Rochester Green has had many talented mathematicians or people who are destined for university. So whether they'll have a counsellor or an advisor is, is doubtful. And I think it's going to be an interesting story. Even if he does go away elsewhere, I still think Brad will be someone who we hear of quite a lot. I don't want him to disappear either. Now, going on to Ardell. Ardell was a very funny character this week. He is obviously stressed and they've really laid it on thick with showing how stressed he was. I hated how he spoke to Linda and to Kenton. He treated them really like dirt. 
But as Witherspoon said, yeah, there was no miscommunication harmed in this uh, these episodes because they did act like grown-ups and it was sorted. So uh, I was quite pleased with the outcome. Yes, I, I think it was uncharacteristically straightforward. Though what has happened subsequently is yeah. interesting with Ardell appearing to be disappearing with some heavy bags and who knows where he's gone. It clearly wasn't just going away on a holiday or we wouldn't have had his awkwardness when he discovered that Emma was in the house. He was doing a flit with something or somebody in those bags. Ooh, that's a real mystery. That's somebody. You've added another element now, Stephen. <laughs> I did wonder whether he packed up the entire kitchens or culinary theatre, as I think he wanted to call it, to take <laughs> off with him in a some sort of mental health crisis. Yeah. But he clearly is in a bad way. Just going back to Brad, Witherspoon mentioned that at many American universities, Brad would get a very good financial package, which would allow him to attend, cover his fees and some living costs. I think that's true within the UK as well. A lot of universities, as I think we discussed last week, are looking to find ways to support non-traditional applicants. And by non-traditional, that means non-public school, middle-class applicants, but looking for people from a much broader range of social mm. backgrounds and so forth. So I think that wherever he goes, he will get a suitable financial package that will help support him. So if he can get over that anxiety about leaving home, yeah. I think that he will not have to worry too much about money. Though any package is not going to fully address the distance between home and a university for regular travel. So I, I think that as I've said time and time again, a high quality but not very far away university would be the right place for him. And they do say Felpersham is whatever it was, 19th in mathematics. So I do think a university that's sufficiently far away that he's going to be living properly at the university, but isn't so far away that he can't get home easily is the right answer for him. Jolly good. Let's move on to our next call. And this one comes from Globetrotting Richard. Hi, Richard here. Many apologies for the appalling sound quality. I'm wearing noise reduction headphones, and I think it's been reducing the quality of the recording. I'm now in a children's play area of a business lounge, which I'm going to call Munich because it's where I'm going to be soon. I realized I could make up my globe-trotting alter-ego and pretend I'm in Abu Dhabi or Buenos Aires or wherever. Anyway, this is being recorded shortly before I arrive in Munich in a business play area totally deserted where it's nice and quiet in the regional airport in Eastern Europe. So I want to come back to the lack of social mobility in the arches. And of course, it's perfectly reasonable for Brad not to be ambitious if that's what he already wants. But has he got anyone sort of setting out the the options for him, it's not just about his relatives being proud, it's about him making the biggest contribution he can in his life as a talented mathematician. There are loads of opportunities. And that leads me back to George. And I asked Google Bard AI why Oliver Sterling gave George £5,000 in the arches. And it claims that Oliver and George were involved in a business deal that went wrong. George lost a lot of money and Oliver felt guilty. Well, they need a good mathematician to program AI a little bit better. Anyway, I'm still team Brad. 
suspicious like George, and I wish other people in the village looked out for him more. Bye. Thank you very much for that call, Richard. And the sound quality was somewhat better than we've had on in previous calls. So I think the answer is for you to seek out more children's play areas within the business lounges of the airports through which you're traveling. <laughs> I have to say, the idea of a busy children's play area in a business lounge feels a bit of a contradiction in <laughs> terms, but never mind. Turning to George, it's an interesting thing to ask an AI what's yeah. going on in the archers. I'm not sure many AIs listen to the archers. I think it would perhaps be good if they didn't just listen to the archers, listen to Dumpty Dum as well. Uh, and perhaps we could hope for an AI or two to call into Dumpty Dum and tell us where they get these ideas from. The idea of Oliver and George going into a business deal and it going wrong and <laughs> Oliver therefore owing George money is utterly bizarre. Um, Preposterous. <laughs> yeah, I think a good question to ask the AI, Richard, but yeah, it just goes to prove exactly how I feel about AI. I think it can get on with its own little life and I'll live mine. Thank just busy making everything up. Absolutely. Good at ne that. Next up, we have Andrea. Steve and Jacqueline. Uh, all you beautiful dumpty dumbbells all over the world. It's Andrew calling from beautiful Brittany. I mean, it has been beautiful the last few days. In fact, unseasonably warm. Day, however, misty, miserable. And that is just how I'm feeling. Living miserable. Calling in after Tuesday night's episode. Firstly, Susan, that was nice and jolly. She's getting a helicopter ride. That's lovely. Also, some other good news with Usha. She was horrible to Alan the other day. She obviously went away, had a good thing about it. Probably listened to Dumpty Dum, read the Dumpty Dum pages, and thought, hmm, what would Witherspoon do? And got the answer, got it correct, and was really lovely with Alan. So well done, Yusha. But the other two women, oh, I know I say this, but bloody woman. And actually, I'm not talking about Helen for a change. Helen was amazing on Tuesday night. She was wonderful. She was so calm. She thought it through. She was just so brilliant, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I wish there was more Helen in the program rather than Pat. Oh, bloody woman this time round is Pat. What is she on about? Oh, I can't believe it. I'm just so annoyed with her. I mean, what does she expect Helen to do? It's his job, for goodness sake. And, oh, it's just, I just can't even find the words. I'll just let everyone else discuss it. I just needed to get that off my chest. I'm going to go and do something nice and calm now. Maybe eat some chocolate, have a cup of tea, put on my happy playlist. Everything will be all right with the world. Hope the rest of the week's better than this one. Try a bit. <laughs> Thank you for that, Andrea. Yeah, we have had a very unseasonally hot time in central Brittany. But now, bloody Pat, I quite agree with her. It's so infuriating. Why she went, even with Helen, she wouldn't listen to Helen. And Helen was saying, look, this is what he does. He winds, he winds people up. He sets out to upset people. And the fact that, as Andrea said, Alan was doing his job. He can't turn down if somebody wants to be christened. He actually can't turn them down. He's got, he's got to do it. So Pat has been very old Pat-like, if you see what I mean, because she, she's become a slightly mature woman over the last uh, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, however long she's been in the Archers. But, yeah, I, she infuriated me as well. And I have to say, yes, Helen was. She had a bit more snell about her, didn't she? Yes. Now, starting with Helen, I'm a bit concerned about Helen 
because she was preternaturally calm about the Rob situation. She was also incredibly laid back and, and comfortable dealing with George and yeah. getting him to, to work for her. I think we've got a call a bit later on dealing with exactly how I think Jen has got strong views on yeah. Helen. But I think her behaviour has been remarkably stable and level and possibly even too much. I do wonder whether she has been medicating herself. And if she has been medicating herself, then that could be something that will then trigger a crisis a bit mm. further on because she has not had a good track record under times of stress. And so mm. I'm just a bit worried that that's all going to go horribly wrong. Now, right. Pat has been in the village almost 50 years. It's going to be 50 Gracious. years in next year that she's, mm. since she first arrived. So, yes, she has been through quite a bit of evolution. She's gone from feminist firebrand to soup-making matriarch, mm. and she's had a, a very long history of, of doing lots of things. She's been a very interesting character over the years, Yeah, though the current incarnation is a bit... I'm not quite sure what the best way of putting it is, but she, she does seem to be a bit one track at the moment. Yeah, she does. I mean, and then again, she's, she saw her daughter go through that terrible time when they found out how Helen had been treated by uh, Rob Titchener and then see her go to jail and her grandson being born in jail. So Pat must have lots of guilt and be stressed by the fact that Helen went through something under her nose and the fact that Rob Titchener, didn't she have to be a witness for him at Helen's trial? I thought she couldn't be a witness because of the situation. She had more than anybody thoroughly believed that Rob was a good thing. She'd swallowed his line hook, line and sinker. Yeah. So I think she was carrying massive extra guilt. And she couldn't, I think, have be a witness for Helen. I don't think she was a witness for No, I, I, see, I have a vague feeling that she was called by the Titchener's to... But, yeah, we'll have to look that up. Somebody will come back and tell us what happened, or you'll find out anyway. But, yeah, Pat has been a very infuriating character this week because she wasn't listening to anybody. She didn't give Usha or Alan the chance to really explain the situation. I mean, that's just typical Titchener, isn't it? With those invitations, no date possibly, and with great thanks to Reverend Alan Franks, just a set to wind people up. Ugh. And it succeeded with Pat very much. Well, and with the rest of the village, Stevens, as we know by Friday night, people have taken against Alan and St. Stevens completely. That's true. That refugee meeting was a bit of a disaster. And then there's the mystery word chalked on the front of the yeah. vicarage. Quite. So those were our first five calls, uh, but there are plenty more uh, where they came from, and we'll hear those very soon. Now, if you'd like to become a caller in a like Paul, Roz, and the others, you would be more than welcome. There are three ways you can get involved. The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com slash dumtdum. And don't forget, that's a T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or a message via WhatsApp on 07810 or stick a plus four four at the front and remove the first zero if you're calling from outside the UK. And please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. And finally, you can email us. 
We have a fairly new email address that you can contact us on if you'd rather write in with your views, but a maximum of 250 words, please. The email address is dumptydum at mail.com, and do bear in mind you do need to be at least 18 to take part and to contribute. Now, you don't need to worry about writing all that down. We've provided links to those three ways of contributing in the show notes for this episode. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating. They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Right, should we get back to the calls then, Stephen? Yes, and we'll get back to Paul in Olney. Hello, folks. This is Paul and Oli this time talking about what's actually been going on in Ambridge this weekend. As I'm sure we've had quite a few quarter minimums. That Titchener tosser. Excuse the cat. All this kerfuffle about invitations to a baptism. Has nobody checked to see whether there's actually a date on them? He's only just had an offer from Alan to introduce him to this other vicar who will actually carry out the baptism. Surely there's not been time yet to actually arrange him have a date to send out invitations with a date on them. Most unusual. As I'm sure lots of other people will be saying, this is yet more Titchener mind games. Any doubt that we as listeners might have had, to echo the doubts that Salons had about whether there is actually a new leaf, I think were well and truly put to rest by the, the flash of the true Rob that we saw when he was speaking to Usha after Alan left at the end of last week. That viciousness was very much still there. So why aren't people checking these invitations for basic factual information to see whether things are actually happening or are they just all blowing up at the sight of it? Most not. Most not. Take care, folks. Have a good week. Thank you for that call, Paul. Yes, it does seem impossible that there could be a date fixed for this. And indeed, we don't even know which church it might be in. I assume that there is a church in Downham where the Reverend Berry carries out services. I don't know whether Downham is a standalone parish or whether it's just the main parish in a group the way that Alan is. But Alan referred to the Reverend Berry as being based in Downham. So we can assume that the christening will take place there or possibly the Reverend Berry could conduct it in 
Penny Hassett with Alan's agreement, but it seems more likely that she would do it in her own church, possibly along with other parishioners. So yeah, there's no way that he could actually be even sending out a save the date type card. So it is a bit bizarre. And when people read out what it said, there was no date mentioned. No. So it's just designed to trigger Pat, as we were saying earlier. Yeah, exactly. I'm so glad that Paul and his cat called in because, of course, I hope you don't edit your sound too much because I can hear cats all the time. Having locked my dogs away so they're not barking for once. <laughs> There's cats are us on this podcast this week. Yes, my cat is on a strict feeding schedule. And we're about 20 minutes away from the time when she should get fed. And normally when we record the podcast, it's a couple of hours later than this and she's already been fed, so she stays quiet. But at the moment, yes, if you hear plaintive mewing in the background, <laughs> it's just her trying it on to try and get her food a little bit early. But it will come along soon. She will eat it and she will then curl up and go to sleep for quite a while quite a cat's life then with what with guinea pigs in Ambridge and cats in dum de dum this week yes now for our next call and this one is from Claire from Clapham hi dum de dum it's Claire from Clapham here we've been pondering about our deal but also more about what happens to people when they arrive in Ambridge so Ardil came into Ambridge, he was cool, he was suave, he was confident, he seemed really competent, he was like entrusted with the work on this hotel, but he's become a gibbering wreck. And really, comparatively quickly, in the last little while, and it just didn't feel like him, but it made me think about, remember how when Justin first arrived, he was a big I am, and like, um, you know, seemed incredibly competent and doing loads of stuff and whatever and then he became a bit of a kind of jokey figure in a velour jumpsuit during during covid i don't know it feels like people who've got competence and professional competence arrive in ambridge and we all go hey hey this will shake up the useless people in the arches who think a business plan is just a spreadsheet or whatever it is and then eventually, I don't know, when maybe Ambridge, Ambridge gets to them and they cease to be like properly operating effectively as business people. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a great business person myself, but I can't help but feel that, you know, these people arrive and they're supposed to be all that and then they're not. And, and it's not, I don't know, sometimes we give them a personality change. I don't understand it. Anyway, I do feel for Ardell. He feels like he's taking way too much on, like the whole structure of who owns Grey Gables, who's in charge of what, why one person is trying to manage all this stuff that's all different types of jobs. Doesn't make any sense, but, you know, that's all part of the joy, isn't it? Anyway, keep up the good work. I'll speak to you soon. Well, thanks for that, Claire. Yes, very good thoughts. As you say, people do tend to have personality changes quite often in the Archers. Bridge, the Ambridge effect, we talk about the Ambridge fairy, so it's kind of the Ambridge slumping, dumbing down sometimes it comes down to. But there are other things that happen to characters in Ambridge, like, for example, Martin Gibson, who was a silent for a long time, and then he was this kind of mustachioed, twirling in a black cape, a kind of evil person around with Justin and Brian and all the Borchester landlord. And then he became this kind of slightly comedy character with George. And so all those competences that he has had and where he's come from, they've changed as well. Now, Ardil, we had a few weeks ago, we had a caller that talked about 
how Ardil wouldn't even be on site during until the handover has taken place. And so, yeah, this is definitely a made-up building up to something happening, something going wrong story. We've all been confused by the Grey Gables. How did it manage to shut down so quickly for the updates in the first place? Everything has gone. The timescales have been completely wrong. Yeah, I think the breakdown of Ardil is something. And as you said earlier, the mystery of where he's gone and with what. And is he coming back? The impact of Ambridge on competent business people might be the sort of thing that you could do a paper for the Academic Archers Conference. Indeed. I, I suspect the deadline has passed for submitting papers for next year's conference, but I'm sure there will be another one after that. It doesn't happen to everybody. Yes, it does seem to have affected Ardell. It does appear to have affected Justin. I'm not sure whether Martin has changed that much. I think it's just about how much we've heard of him. He was described by Justin when she, he had that semi-clandestine lunch with Stella mm. as a perfectly adequate provincial businessman, which was really putting him down. But that does seem to suggest that Justin saw himself as some high-flying, big-hitting businessman and certainly doesn't seem to be like that at the moment. But some people survived unchanged. Matt Crawford never really became soft and cuddly. He left as deviously as he arrived. And of course, we are waiting to see what impact the heirs of Ambridge have on Vince Casey. Yes. And that's more, I guess, falling under the spell of Lower Loxley at Chatelaine rather than Ambridge, where I think Vince is only an occasional visitor. But that's mm -hmm. going to be something to look forward to. I, and I really don't know what's going on with our deal. As I said before, we will have to find out, and I'm sure we will find out, but what it means for the opening of Grey Gables and the black tie ball, I really don't know. No. Shall we move on and hear from Jen? Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dum Land. Jen here, just calling us about Helen. As you may have realised from many of my calls, I don't like Helen. I am terribly sorry for her. She's had a lot of drama and everything else. But fundamentally, I don't like Helen. And Thursday's night episode was an absolute classic example. At first I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have... She's made some personal growth here. Helen is about to apologise to George. It really looked like it. She was having the conversation with Emma. And then George came in and said, George, G George, can I speak to you for a minute? And I thought, she's going to apologise. She's going to take ownership for her bad behaviour and apologise. This is amazing. But no, 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 no. She asked him. She warmed up enough to him to ask him to clean out her fridge. What a lovely, lovely girl she is. And then while he was cleaning out the fridge, the poor bugger, and she had a captive audience, she laid a massive guilt trip on to him and explained exactly why he was so dreadful and why she has no cause to apologise for screaming at him in the cafe like she did. I mean... There's a lot of people saying, oh, that's great. And he, he owed her one and all how awful he was. George is only five years older than Henry. So when all the Jack stuff went down, George was 11. I have an 11 year old. I'm not going to talk to him about rape. George didn't know how bad Rob was. And when Helen's laying into him about, oh yeah, you did this, you did this deliberately. He didn't know how bad Rob was. He was manipulated by Henry. Helen never considered for one minute that this may come from Henry. And from her own choice, not to inform him properly about how dangerous Rob was. So she has got so much ownership. And as usual, she took none. I don't like Helen. Thank you, Jen. I get the impression from that call that you don't like Helen. <laughs> and 
I have to say, I'm not a big fan of Helen either. I do find her very annoying. The way that she treats other people, particularly, for instance, the way she treats Susan and Clary at the dairy, she is very high-handed. I know she's been through a lot, and she's had the issues not just with Rob, but previously the whole business with Greg, who ended up killing himself, and then dealing with Greg's daughter and all the things that she went through. So, yes, Helen has had a bad time, but I still, I don't warm to her, I don't like her. But I also really don't like George. And I agree with you that for Helen to expect him to have done everything right around Henry, when, as you say, he was only 11 years old, when all of that was going on, yes, there, are, there may be excuses there, but George has got loads of other areas where he has been utterly unpleasant areas that have got nothing to do with that particular incident, just his general treatment of women, his treatment of Hannah, most obviously the unpleasant way in which he gets crushes on older women and has no idea quite how ridiculous it is, his fawning over Fallon, for instance. Mm. So however horrible Helen is to George, it's not like George doesn't deserve it, if not for the things that Helen's being horrible about for other things. I don't think I have to choose between Helen and George as to which I like, which I don't like. I've, I'm perfectly comfortable not liking either of them. <laughs> well, I think you've summed up Helen exactly right. I would have actually used the word condescending in her manner as well. But George, now let's just have a little think about George. Friday night's episode, last night's episode, what a little twat. Honestly, he really, when he said, oh, it was, might have been not so bad being at Little Grange after all, he has caused so much upset, so much hardship. We've already heard Will mention not having the rental money. Hannah's sofa surfing, which puts uh, Barrow Farm and the pig unit in some kind of precarious position as far as the workers are concerned. So uh, the repercussions of his actions, of him deciding, no, I agree, I don't like Helen, but I really, really don't like George, and I still don't like him. No, and I, I think he is still due a comeuppance. We've seen this apparent softening of his behaviour and he seems to be warming to the wretched guinea pigs. But well, even maybe. so, I, I think that he still deserves some sort of comeuppance. It would be dramatic justice for that to happen. But the great thing about the archers is that it thinks in terms of years and decades. So it may be a long while before it actually happens. Yeah. Um, and it may be that, that he will climb high and fall all the further. Indeed. Next up is Glyn. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glyn here calling in on a very soggy Friday afternoon. Prominent in the Archers this week have been George Grundy and Rob Titchener, although I'm not sure he's actually spoken this week. But in any event, their paths seem to be diverging with, with George finding redemption through rodents and Rob continuing in his evil ways, exacting revenge on Alan Anusha for not doing exactly what he wanted. I do wonder whether George and Rob are going to cross paths again and whether something will transpire between them and actually George finds himself being yet another of Rob's victims. Maybe we're being led there by a circuitous route. I think the invitations to the baptism must be purely for mischief-making, because I can't see how that baptism, the actual baptism, has been arranged that quickly. The invitations must have gone out before 
Rob had his meeting with the new clergy woman who's going to do the baptism for him. Anyway, and finally, as this week has been dominated rather by Grey Gables, and I think Ardil may well have disappeared for longer than just the weekend. We found out at the end of Thursday. I suspect there are deep financial problems and Oliver may need to somehow come to the rescue. Thank you to the hosts of the podcast as ever and goodbye. Thank you for that, Glenn. I love that phrase, redemption through rodents. <laughs> Do you think George will find redemption through rodents? I think he'll probably drown the rodents. I don't know. I, I think that he will be a bit like, what's that film? Was it called Ben? There was a film called Willard and another one called Ben, and they were about some social misfit who befriended rats, trained them to kill people. It was a 1970s horror film. I think that Michael Jackson did the theme tune to the sequel. I think that was what the sequel was Ben. So that's my vision of George and rodents, I think, that it's going to be a, a nasty thing with a herd of killer guinea pigs roaming through Ambridge. Oh, come on, Stephen. Come on. I know we've started this at pre-dawn. In fact, it still is pre-dawn, but I think we're going from flights of fantasy, fantasy now. <laughs> yes. And Glyn has repeated what we discussed earlier around Rob and that not being anything other than, than mischief-making. I don't know whether Rob and George will cross paths again. There have been various people with ideas about how Rob might meet his end earlier than the glioblastoma will take him. We previously had all that business with Pat and the shotgun. Though I think that's probably gone away. I don't think that he's going to get shot with a shotgun. You know, and I think there's a lot of people speculating about the window in the dairy. <laughs> I, I love the fact that people listen to this 13 minutes a day for, for, for six days a week and then you look at Twitter, or even on our own Facebook page, the flights of fantasy have been absolutely wonderful. And keep it up. More and more inventions are needed. <laughs> absolutely. And now we're coming to our final call this week. And this one is a return call from Andrea. Hi, Stephen Shecklin and Dumpty Dummers. It's Andrea again from a beautiful Grinley. I'm feeling much better now at the end of the week than I did at the start of the week. Um, I went away, got some gingerbread biscuits that are absolutely slobbered in dark chocolate, which is always jolly ice. Just a slight hint of cinnamon. Unfortunately, just only a slight hint of ginger, but, you know, the chocolate makes up for that. I've also got a new pack of uh, Tave of Rain North, which is very nice. Sorry, Jacqueline, for that pronunciation. I hope you don't have a face like my teenage George has whenever I speak French, which is a bit like someone's just asked him to eat vegetables. So Thursday's episode, well, we had the interaction with Emma and George, which was quite sweet. There was an interaction with George and Helen. wouldn't really call that sweet. It was quite awkward, but they thought it was very well done in the amount of awkwardness in there. So that was jolly lovely. And it was good to hear mention of Tilly Button. Glad to see she's still going strong. I just wonder what Molly thinks of all the goings on with Rob Titchener. I also wonder, I'm sure someone said a little while ago that the Button twins were in their mid-twenties now. I just wonder how often they're hanging iron with George. Bit bizarre, but you know, it's a small village. I don't know, maybe there's nothing else to do. And the other thing, well, Gene Harvey and Derek Fletcher. Oh my word. Do you know what I mean? I did suspect it personally, but I just didn't like to gossip because I'm not like that. I'm not into gossip. Well, I mean, I like hearing it, but 
when it goes bring it round. Except Tom Dumpty Dum. Hope you all have a good week or end of the week. Speak to you soon. Thank you for that call, Andrea. I think we have had previous mention of the affair between Gene Harvey and Derek Fletcher. So I don't think that was new information. I believe that somebody referred to a hotel or a restaurant where they used to go for their assignations not that long ago. Of course, the actual affair is well in the past. And I suspect it might have been mentioned again at the time. But they're characters who currently are both silent. I think Derek has always been a silent character. Jean spoke from time to time in her early days in the village and, of course, played a big role in Calendar Girls. But I think it hasn't spoken since then. No, no, great. Great call, Andrea. Thank you very much. Yes, we all like to hear the gossip, but we don't go spreading it around. And the the Button girls, I believe they're in their early 20s. I think they're a little bit older than George, but I don't think we've ever had dates of birth for either Molly or Tilly. And we believe that there's a third one, a little boy called Billy. And fairly recently, we learnt the names of the parents, Archie and Fleur. How lovely. I love Tilly Button because, in fact, there's a, a very good range of sewing patterns called Tilly and the Buttons which are very popular in my world. (laughs) So I think that's all our calls. Thank you so much, everybody, for calling in. We absolutely love them, and I love the fact that everybody's making stuff up around the story. Now, did we receive any emails or WhatsApp messages this week, Stephen? We did. In fact, we received three. Blimey. The first is from Dave and Carmarthenshire. Now, this came in at the very end of last week, but we didn't pick it up in time to include it in the last episode. So I'm sorry about that, David. But here it is now, with apologies for my poor Welsh pronunciation. And it goes like this. Visi ma eto. It's me again, David from Carmarthenshire, this time emailering from Mexico City. Now there's posh. I wanted to pick up on last week's discussion on social mobility in Ambridge. For me, the paragons of social mobility in Ambridge are surely Peggy, Lillian and Jennifer. Peggy came to Ambridge from the East End, and listening to early episodes of The Archers, I get the impression that she brought bow bells with her in her handbag. Fast forward to Peggy now, Lady Bountiful married to Jack and dishing out cash and reactionary advice. Now there is a lady who has forgotten from whence she came. Lillian is not a snob. She is happy to have a drink with Eddie and the Bull and chew the cud, but as a former tax exile, her social pedigree is beyond reproach. Jennifer was, of course, the worst kind of snob. Confected cut-glass accent, Albion kitchen, Underwood's gold card and pearl-clutching at any social faux pas. She even told Kirsty that she was her better, as a former single mum who grew up living over a pub. Hmm. Everyone knows I am team Natasha. She is a true example of current social mobility. We know that her background is challenging, and she is making her own way in the world and not relying on family connections. She will do great things and hopefully bring Emma along with her. Pobnev Idihi, all strength to her. Hoyle Amatro, David. Well done, Stephen, for reading that. I'm terrible at, at accents, at pronunciation, so I'm so glad it was you that chose to read that one with the Welsh included. Yeah, David, very good point about Peggy, especially. I don't... Lillian is very down to earth. I like her. But I think the previous incarnation of Lillian with the other actress 
wasn't played quite as Sonny Orman plays, plays Lillian now, who is much more grounded. Um, Jennifer, are we allowed to speak ill of the dead? Yes, she was absolutely the worst kind of snob. I agree with that entirely. But the Peggy thing is, I, of course, I wasn't, I didn't listen. I haven't listened to The Archers from the beginning because I don't think I know where to find them. But the older episodes, but I do remember in the 70s when she was first with Jack Woolley, when I first started really listening of my, on my own, my own account, I found her a strained character. And I wonder if that's when she went through the transition from being Bow Bells to Country Lady. But she definitely has become in recent years more and more queen-like. I can imagine her having a handbag with a handkerchief in it and not a lot else. The thing that those three archer women have in common, though, in terms of their social mobility is that they achieved a lot of it through marriage. Peggy came from the East End, married a publican, but it was a publican from a local well-respected family. And he had his problems, became an alcoholic, and it was her strength that rescued the situation. And clearly yeah. she was a major influence on her children. But both Lillian and Jennifer married money on a very large scale. And I think that in, in both cases, their social advancement wasn't entirely through their own efforts. That's not to say they might not have got on one way or another, but mm. they certainly owe a lot to the people they married. And I think that that sort of social mobility is quite difficult to compare to true social mobility. Now, Natasha, I think, is an interesting one. She, again, she's an outsider coming into the village, but she has come from a background, a difficult family background, she's probably from a sort of the similar social level to the Bridge Farm Archers, but she is being really driven. She has her own business. She uses the word aspirational far too often for my tastes, mm. but she is trying to climb up. So it'll be interesting to see where all of that goes, particularly as she's about to be highly influential on another business within Ambridge as she is driving Tom and Helen to take over control of the tea room. Yeah, indeed. Right, so I think the second message here is from Purple Pumpkin. Hi, Stephen, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a midweek emailer in that comes from not knowing enough about the Anglican Church and how it works and hoping that Stephen's ecclesiastical upbringing might allow him to shed some light. I've known a few people who've turned their life around after doing some bad things, a couple through a 12-step program, another through more traditional therapy. In each, they reached a point where they gained genuine insight about the harm they'd done and sought to wholeheartedly apologise as part of their journey. It is also the case that in the annual Jewish search for forgiveness, it is made plain that God can only forgive sins towards God and you must seek human forgiveness for sins against other people. And I've always thought Catholic confessions are about admitting wrongdoing before seeking redemption. But Rob seems to have decided baptism will wash his sins away without any need to deal with the human consequences of what he's done. Maybe that's not surprising from him, but is it at all realistic that Alan is not insisting on some form of reparation before a blessing in the church? Even if he does, then pass Rob on to a colleague. What do you think, Stephen? Keep up the good work, your loyal listener, Purple Pumpkin. Thank you for that call, Theo. It's an interesting question. I think that Rob has got a very medieval idea of the way that the sacraments work within the church and baptism 
washes his sins away and makes him good and pure and so forth. That used to be the way that it was understood. That was why you have these bizarre concepts like limbo, which is where babes who die unbaptized, they haven't been baptized, so they can't go to heaven. They are babies. They haven't done anything wrong, so they can't go to hell. The medieval church came up with the idea of limbo as where they end up. And you get all these kind, these bizarre sorts of ideas around that. The Church of England doesn't see it that way, as I understand it. Any discussion of baptism, both child baptism and adult baptism in the Church of England, talks of it as being the start of a journey. And so, in some ways, you don't need to have that sort of reparation before a blessing or, or so on. You don't need a qualification before you can be baptised. What you need is a commitment, a forward-looking commitment. So I think that Rob's understanding of what baptism means is completely wrong. And I think that with any luck, the Reverend Perry will give him some classes similar to the sorts of things you get in a, a head of confirmation within the Anglican Church. And he will maybe realise that this isn't for him, or he'll probably just argue with the vicar and tell her that she's got it all wrong. Yeah, but this is Rob Titchener. He doesn't really want to be baptised. He doesn't give a damn about all of that, does he? He just wants to stick his oar in Ambridge and stir up the mud. He does indeed. And finally, we have a message from Jeff, who is confused about the number of episodes. Hi, Dumpty Dum. I've been listening for several years, but don't usually take part, as I like to think of myself as a modern-day Gene Harvey. I'm really confused about this 20,000 episodes thing. I thought this milestone was reached a couple of months ago. There was a lot of publicity in Radio Times. Everyone thought it would be marked by the return of Rob. And then he turned up another week, and the 20,000th episode was performed live at the Hay Festival. Yeah. Now we seem to be marking the occasion all over again with Lark Rise. Did someone at the Beeb think that the event was so underwhelming that they should have another try? Did they miscount the episodes? Or have I misunderstood something? Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for that, Jeff. Gracious, I'm lost. I've no idea. I think the 20,000th episode for me was the one that they then repeatedly recorded live or was broadcast from the Hay Festival, which Philippa was at and assisted at that recording, which was great for us on Dumpty Dum. But I'm not sure whether Larkwise wasn't just one of those drama things that they have done occasionally as a separate They've done it to always, like, Blythe Spirit was a separate programme, but this they did, including the Archers part at the beginning, especially in the first episode. They had the Archers characters as Archers characters, then the reading. So, but it's interesting, yeah, I don't, I don't know what has happened at the BBC. Maybe somebody in the BBC could tell us. I think there has been something odd going on this year because, absolutely, the 20,000th episode was a complete non-event and it was exactly a week, I think, before Rob Titchener turned up. But that wasn't the only episode where things were a week out. There was Debbie's brief return to Ambridge, and it wasn't the week of Jennifer's funeral, which no. was a lot of time. We expected her to be there at the funeral, and it was mentioned that she was at the funeral, but we didn't hear her again until the following week. So it's almost as if they'd planned things so that they'd planned it, so the availability of Debbie to go to the funeral was all fixed. They fixed all those dates. And the return of Rob was all set for the 20,000th episode. But in each case, they were out by a week. So mm. I think 
that just maybe that was just a coincidence, but it seems to me that somewhere along the line they lost a week or they gained a week that they miscalculated and haven't coughed to having done that. I think that Lark Rise is best looked at not as a 20,000th episode thing, but as a celebration of the fact that the program has gone for 20,000 episodes and is still going strong. So I, I think that the tie into 20,000 is that the BBC decided to reward the program with a little bit of extra money to make this spin-off two hours of very good entertainment and mm. really well done, I think. And it was a, a lot of people on the Facebook group and in, on Twitter have been saying how much better they found it than they were expecting. Yeah. So I, I think that it was connected with the 20,000th episode, but it wasn't tied directly to the 20,000th episode, which was that one that was read out at the Hay Festival. And I don't think yeah. they could have read it out at the Hay Festival if it had been the return of Rob, because the innovative no. cast would have been... <laughs> Very different. But you never know. That might have been another miscalculation they were expecting to get. Yeah, we never right know what's going there. on behind the scenes, do we? In fact, this could be a bit like um, we could take this year in which the 20,000th episode appears um, appeared um, was maybe a bit like in France here. The tradition locally here in Brittany is that the year in which you uh, have a big birthday with a zero at the end uh, it is your year, and we have uh, meals for the people. For people, so everybody who's born in two thousand uh, in uh, a year ending in three gets together. They have a, have a uh, an aperitif, a photo call, a meal together with their their um, significant others, and um, then every club that you belong to, you're celebrated in your year. So, in fact, so I, I'm looking forward to the nines coming around again. So it could be like that. You're, you're made a king or a queen for a year. A bit like Jubilee years in Rome, um, but without the digging up all the streets and making yeah. the traffic even worse than normal. <laughs> Indeed. I think we better move on to our Facebook page now. And we need to give a very warm welcome to the new members who are Alison Johnson and Tommy Richards. Welcome both. So what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? Let's find out as we sit back with a roundup from... Ben in Shanghai. Welcome to the Social Media Roundup with me, Ben, in Shanghai. Lola Enrico seem to have become the Facebook page's hottest sensation this week. Andrea 12's got the party started asking who couldn't resist singing along, and Jenny Lawson has declared them her new favourite characters. Kate Lyle, on the other hand, brilliantly guessed that Rico was not just a furball, but a fabulous pregnant female. I bet the sound effects team had a blast with those scenes this week. Now here's the million dollar question from Sarah Farmer. Would you buy a guinea pig from George? Sarah Ferguson dropped the vocabulary bomb of the week. She had us all scratching our heads with, Dear Ardle, we think you're on the lamb. After some linguistic acrobatics, we found out it was not referring to laments or laminates, not legs or iambic pentameter. She suspects that Ardo is apparently on the run from the police. Kudos to our Witherspoon for clearing that one up. And a big shout out to Aaron Aardvark, who kept calling him Aldi. Autocorrect fail, or does he think Ardil bears some resemblance to our beloved budget supermarket? Yes, they've recently arrived here in China too. Now, the burning question was, just what was in those heavy suitcases? Stephen Thomas wins my comment of the week with the guy from Lidl who's on the fiddle. Cue my snort out loud moment on the Shanghai Metro, earning me some perplexed looks from the locals. 
Finally, Rob Williams wanted to wrap up the week with a bang. He challenged everyone to fill in the blanks and guess the full comment left on the door of St. Stephen's. Rob Titchener is ah. Uh... The responses flooded in from about to get his comeuppance to dead man walking. Ross Robertson suggested a tired plotline, but John Ellis thinks Rob Titchener is a gift to scriptwriters. Sarah Passingham even offered up a sinister end-of-life plan. Marion knew it, meanwhile, is keeping it real, reflecting on a Facebook ban for using grammatically correct dog-related terms. So, signing off now from the bustling streets of Shanghai, where workers are abseiling out of my 15th story window, fixing who knows what on the air conditioning unit. Oh, how I wish I were in Ambridge. Till next time, Tetian. Thank you very much for that, Ben. Yes, and Ben, did he send you some photos, Stephen? He sent me photos of these people abseiling out of the window and they said the work's going to take five weeks. Well, Isa replied, I don't think it'll, they'll survive five weeks doing that. We'll see if we can get those put up on our Instagram page to show you exactly what Ben was talking about. Thanks to everybody on the Facebook group. If you'd like to join them, you can. It's very easy. But don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we can know that you're a, a real person and you're not AI. Last week, Jacqueline asked you all very nicely to send us some reviews. Sadly, we still have no more reviews to read out. So could I just encourage you to get yourselves onto Apple Podcasts or even Spotify and leave us a review, preferably a five-star one. But even if you hate us or are just a bit meh about us, please leave a review because otherwise we might start thinking there's nobody out there listening to us. And if you can't leave a review, do tell two or three of your Archers listening friends about Dumpty Dum so we can keep this community growing. Now on to Twitter, where you'll find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using the capital T and the capital A, so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Jberto Sanguen. And I can be found at at Wenlock House. So let's find out who's won the Twitter medals this week. Hello, it's Fry here. And now, on Dumpty Dum, it's time for Tweet of the Week. Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen, and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here, with enough of my voice back to report for Tweet of the Week duty. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen, and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best tweets. This week, those of us who haven't yet left Twitter were once again debating how long we can stay and whether using the platform is in any way endorsing the crazy way Elon Musk is managing the platform. Issues made all the more pressing with the events in Israel and Gaza this week and Twitter being used to facilitate disinformation on both sides. So once again, we're looking elsewhere and there's a small but vocal group amassing on Blue Sky, bsky.app, the latest alternative that's very like Twitter, except that joining requires an invitation from someone who's already there. And those of us there get a new invitation code about once a week. So if you're on Blue Sky, please do follow at Dumpty Dum. And remember to use the hashtag TheArchers as on Twitter. So far, the Skeet Along, which I gather is what it's called there, is a small and select group, but let's see how it grows. I'll help kick things off by picking a Skeet of the Week this week. From Lomalindy12 at lomalindy12.bskysocial on Susan's birthday plans. Bubbly and bossanova 
aren't those Tom and Natasha's twins? Over on the platform formerly known as Twitter, we've been enjoying a lot of pictures of guinea pigs, a similar number of pictures of elderly couples on tandems, and a good deal of speculation about whether George is being set up to save Helen from Rob in some heroic way. And so that leads to my medals for Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's newcomer Jane Charland at JaneCharland62. I've some lovely tarragon growing in the garden. Shame I can't get it to Neil for Susan's birthday dinner. The silver medal goes to another newcomer, Jonathan O'Grady at Jonathan O'Grady. Isn't Philip Moss out by now? Surely he's got a few lads who can come round to Grey Gables and work on the kitchen. He knows his way about. And the gold medal goes to John Kavanagh at JohnCav20922342 with a timeless tweet. Hang on, did no one mention Lark Rising was its name? I think they didn't. I think we got away with it. Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on Twitter or Blue Sky next week. Thanks for that, Theo. And yes, congratulations to all who were mentioned in this week's roundup. Are you on Blue Sky, Stephen? I'm not yet. I need to take advantage of somebody sending me an invitation and get on that. Yeah, ditto. Me too. So send us invitations when you get them, please. Um, now, don't forget we're on Instagram at Dumpty Dum, and I'll see if I can get those pictures from Ben's study window on there today. And we will both be back again next week with another episode of Dumpty Dum. And as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support Jacqueline and me in so many invaluable ways. And also to the whole Dumpty Dum community. You make doing this podcast worthwhile. And we must say thank you to Shambridge for her voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy B. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We're now off for a spin on our tandem avoiding the loose gravel at the entrance to Bridge Farm. So it's bye-bye from me. And it's au revoir from me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.